0: Morgan Linton spends all day every day interacting with startups. If you are a startup, if you want to understand domain names, Morgan dispels some common myths many startup founders have about the value of domains, but this interview is so much more than that. It is jam-packed with Excellent information for startups navigating the VC world, navigating pitching, and so, so much more. Enjoy the show. FD was built by domain investors to increase your inquiries, sales, and profit. Forget spreadsheets and archived emails. Manage your entire investment portfolio in one place using a secure and completely confidential platform. Learn more at ft.com. That's e f t y, ft.com. Hey Sherpa Network, thanks for joining us. I'm Tess Diaz, executive producer of DomainSherpa.com, and today we're doing a one-on-one interview, dispelling the myths about domain names for startups with Morgan Linton. Hey Morgan, how you been? Oh, hello.
1: I am great. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, I'm so glad to have you. Um, we were just talking before we started filming about how so many people in the domain industry only realize what you do for domains, but domains is just a sliver of who you are and what you do. It's true. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like two different worlds because like, yeah, most of my friends and family here typically don't know I do anything with domains or blogging or anything. <laughs> but when they find out they're like, wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's really neat because we all think that's all you do.
1: Yes, exactly. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you are COO, COO and co-founder yes. of yes. Bold Metrics, yes. which another common mis- misconception, a lot of people think you're like a fashion company, yes. but you do the geeky things that make people be able to buy clothes that fits. That's yes.
1: my summary. Is that good? I like that pitch actually. That's a good good one-liner for us. Yeah. 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 We actually originally recalled fashion metric and we had like one of the reasons we changed the name, we had to change the name for a number of reasons, but a lot of people thought that we did something related to fashion. And so they would hear the name, they'd think, oh, they must do something around like fashion and styles and trends. And they would have all of these assumptions around what we did which wasn't at all what we did um, and just kind of high level core what we do is we have a machine learning technology that predicts body measurements okay and, so, and you
0: need we, to predict body measurements in order to sell clothes online so a lot of stores are buying that and integrating your software into their yeah, web- a, lot
1: of, a lot of you know we work with apparel brands Uh, Mostly so the companies that are making their own clothes because the really neat thing is there's two sides to that data One side is being able to use that to recommend a size to a consumer and help them understand how something fits Because as we all know a size chart is not a great way to figure out how something fits online And one of the biggest challenges with a size chart is you know if you look at a brand like Levi's for example, you know, they have like 40 different styles of jeans And you could be one size in their 711s and another size in their 501s, but the size chart doesn't break it down by style. And so if you looked at a size chart, you wouldn't know, which is why a lot of people go, oh, for this, I need to go in store and try it on. Oh, for this kind of thing, I need to go in store and try it on. What we're able to do is actually go a step further because we're predicting the body measurements. We can say, okay, well, here's how you would fit into this style. Here's how you'd fit into this other style. Here's where it'd be loose and tight on your body. But then the really fascinating thing is we're able to take that same data and give it back to the brands because brands historically have had to guess who's buying their clothes, Mm -hmm. right? So here's who we think buys our size 30. And then a lot of times they just pick a fit model, which is either an actual person or a, a mannequin. They design for that person in one size and they grade the pattern up and down. And this is why sizes like extra large and extra extra large are all over the board because the typical size that brands start with is medium because most people are a small medium large but you're not in a good place if you're an extra large or an extra extra large or an extra small because now you're at least you know two sizes away from the initial pattern oh. and so it deviates from the body and so we're really one of the first companies that can give brands the body data of their customers so we can say, here's who's actually buying your extra large and keeping it. Here's their body shape and size. And then they go, oh, the, the shoulder width is bigger than we thought. Well, their chest circumference is smaller than we thought. And so they can actually fundamentally change the way they make their clothes. So they're making it for the actual people who are buying them.
0: Wow, that was very geeky and very not okay.
1: fashion. <laughs> well,
0: point, point proven. Um, I would like to put in a, wor- a word for the short people of the world. Um, I don't know what you can do to fix the shortness. Um, but all my pants are too help long, too. need to be hemmed.
1: We um, can help with that too. <laughs> all right,
0: all right. Um, so kind of neat. Um, Now, I loved being in Austin with you because you lived there for a few years yeah. and Austin's had so many great recommendations. Uh, why'd you live in Austin?
1: So we lived in Austin because we went through a startup accelerator called Techstars. Um, there's a ton of startup accelerators out there, but kind of like, Top three are Y Combinator, Techstars, AngelPad. Those are kind of the three that are talked about the most. There's others that are pretty well-known also like 500 Startups, um, Amplify in LA. Um, But essentially, you know, the really neat thing about a startup accelerator is if you are someone that doesn't already have connections to venture capitalists um, or doesn't know how to go out and raise a million dollars, which we did not, (laughs) um, then that's really what they can help set up for you, is an environment where you can meet investors, but on top of it, get the understanding of how do you put together a pitch deck? How do you put together a financial model? Well, what do you actually need for your seed round? And how do you kind of put all those pieces together? Um, and so they do essentially, the first month is called Mentor Madness. You essentially have usually between 80 to 100 meetings in the first month. And Whoa, that's three a day angel investors it's insane and you're just pitching over and over again you're getting feedback of, well that doesn't make sense in this because you're kind of rough you don't know how to do it and it's pretty brutal there's an exhaustion that you go through in it but the neat thing is it allows you to start to establish relationships and through that you start to meet investors you start to get more comfortable pitching um and so then these same investors get to see how your company grows and changes over that three-month time period and it really kind of goes back to this concept um, that Mark Sister from Upfront Ventures has talked about, which is you know, investors invest in lines, not dots. And I think that's the challenge that a lot of people have when they're starting a company is they have a great idea and they feel like, oh, I'm the perfect person to do this and I've got this great co-founder, I have this amazing team, but they don't really know any investors and so they go to like a startup event where a VC's talking and they wait in line to talk to the VC and they go, hey, I'm so-and-so, here's what I'm doing, this is great, we're the perfect people to do it, here's my card, we should talk. And like, there's no context for that investor And then you're kind of sending them blind emails and it's very hard to build a relationship that way. Um, And so accelerators are a fantastic way if you're not someone that already has VC connections to be able to kind of get your foot in the door.
0: That's a big deal. How long ago did you go through this?
1: We went through it in 2014.
0: Okay. Um, And so then you moved to San Francisco where you've been ever since. Yes. Uh, And I like you said, you're like, when you run a software group in San Francisco, Everyone you know runs a <laughs>
1: startup. There's a fantastic community here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Austin has a, has a totally fine startup scene, but um, it's just totally incomparable. You know, the opportunities in San Francisco to be able to just like go out to dinner with other founders and bounce ideas off each other uh, is just incredible. And the number of events and things that come to town and bring more people into the city that's um, uh, just so inspiring.
0: Yeah, I bet. And so you're an angel investor yourself as well. Were you actually before you went through Techstars?
1: Uh, No, 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 I wasn't. Um, Because, you know, I didn't think I really had enough knowledge to be able to be, um, I think, going through the process of pitching lots and lots of VCs and being turned down a lot and having to figure out how do we structure due diligence and how do we structure a financial model and how do we make sure we're putting, help me understand kind of how to evaluate that in my own investments. Um, And so that's been, that's been really valuable. And then on top of that, I really didn't have any, you know, part of being an investor is having like deal flow um, and I had really no deal flow. Uh, And so once I went through Techstars, that, that was really kind of like the first stepping stone to starting to be connected with other angel investors with other startups that were going through the program. And um, actually the first investment that I made was a company that was going through Techstars that has, uh, I don't want to quote it wrong, but since I invested in them, they've raised I think $25 million now. They're a wow. 70 person company. I went to visit their headquarters when I was in Austin because they're based in Austin. Um, but seeing that whole journey unfold has been absolutely incredible
0: that's amazing so you have I just want to like before we get into the meat and potatoes yeah. um, get um, so you went through Techstars yourself yep. you're an angel investor you yep. live in San Francisco surrounded by a bunch of startups basically yep. and I really like that in your investing you have some really special connections and diverse connections, I feel. So you invest or connect with startups through tech stars, through VC groups that you know, and through the startup group from your um, alma mater. Uh, yeah.
1: Mellon. yeah, Carnegie Mellon has a, a really cool group they put together about two years ago, which is essentially just Carnegie Mellon alumni that want to invest in other Carnegie Mellon alumni. Um, and so there's a bunch of different companies that essentially pitch the group. Um, One really important thing to note about angel groups, by the way, is there are uh, some predatory angel groups out there, which people do have to watch out for. There's actually a great thread on Twitter from a a really great investor here in San Francisco, uh, Jason, um, who runs launch, who was talking about how bad this can be and to avoid it. But uh, no one should ever pay to pitch an angel group. Uh, I would say 90% of angel groups are just happy to Hear startups pitch and hear what they have to say. Ten percent are predatory and have built a business out of essentially charging startups anywhere from, you know, two thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars for the honor to pitch them. Um, and within the the, the VC and, and investing world, uh, that is considered like some of the scummiest things you can do because you're taking money from companies at a time where like every dollar is precious. And you know, who are you? at the end of the day, you know, when you're looking at a startup and an investor, it's a two way relationship, you know, it shouldn't just be like, and that's one thing we learned in Techstars. And that's one thing we were very careful about. You know, when we were pitching investors to raise our, our seed round, we weren't just pitching and saying, oh my goodness, you need to invest. We would usually start before the pitch asking a pretty good list of questions of like, hey, why why are you interested in bold metrics? And like, hey, tell me more about how you think you can help us out and, you know, what companies have you seen, you know, do similar things with data and like, what do you think of the network effect of the data we have? And, you know, what, can you give an example of a startup you've invested in that you think would kind of mirror the path you think we could take? And then we would actually, for pretty much every one of our first investors, we would call a couple founders that they had already invested in and talk to them about their experience with the investor. Um, And so as an angel group, I mean, I think as an investor in general, you should always be humbled that brilliant people are taking their time to share their ideas with you and give you the opportunity. And so, yeah, for us, like in the, um, it's called 99 tartans is the angel group for Carnegie Mellon. Um, Yeah, obviously no charge to pitch. And if anyone is listening to this and is pitching angel group and they're charging you to pitch, go report them on Twitter, uh, tag Jason, um, and he'll make sure that the world knows about them.
0: Wow. Okay. That's really cool. (laughs) I just pulled a um, an article that Jason wrote and I'll, I'll, Put about that, cool. and I'll put that cool. in cool. the okay. show, like,
1: too. Great. awesome, awesome, yeah, great idea,
0: oh, what, what you drinking out of there?
1: Hey, cheers,
0: cheers, yeah, my,
1: this, this yeah. mug I've had since, I was on Domain Sherpa, like, shortly after Mike started it, and this mug has managed to live this whole time with only that little chip, oh, no. and, and there's a little bit of a waterfall coming off of the mountain, but I consider oh, that, yeah making oh, this like a it. special edition mug. Oh,
0: that's very, a beloved mug. This I like has, it.
1: This has traveled from, I think when I was first on, I think we were living in LA and then this mug moved to Austin. And now this mug has moved to San Francisco. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep this mug with me. I would love it if I'm like 80 years old and I'm still drinking <laughs> out of this mug. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll bury you with it. Yes,
1: exactly. And a, a well
0: suit, of course. <laughs> nice okay so um let's get into it so yeah. you talk to people and i love that you're like i try to tell people there are domain conferences and they don't even get people
1: it. don't believe me no and these
0: aren't know. people these are these brilliant startup folks maybe yeah, these are great
1: yeah, investors yeah.
0: Too. okay so give me a typical um
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it happened like it happened uh, like before I went to NamesCon this year, I was I was having beers with a couple other founders in San Francisco and I was saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to uh, Austin to a a domain conference. And they're like, a what conference? And I was like, it's a domain investing conference. And literally one of them just said, wait, cyber squatters have a conference. I was like, no, not cyber squatters domain investing. He's like, well, same thing. And I'm like, no, not the same thing. And so first off, I was like, you know, I buy and sell domain names. And they're like, how do you do that? And so then I started to explain how it works and that I've been buying and selling domain names myself for, uh, well, since 2007 now. So it'll be 13 years in October. Um, And they were totally fascinated by that. And then they were like joking, like, oh, so is it like a 10-person conference? It's like you and some of your friends. I'm like, no, it's like in a 1,000-person conference. And they're like, What? And they're like so blown away, but there is really, you know, our industry has managed to stay off of the radar, even for people that are very savvy. You know, one of these people runs an infrastructure company that provides like core services around DNS. Like they are domain name experts. They just don't know anything about our industry. Um, And I think that leads for the entire industry to be misunderstood because stories that tend to get the most press are stories about people that are you know infringing on somebody's trademark or where someone's stolen a domain and held it hostage um, you know the mainstream media doesn't cover enough of the stories of like all the wonderful people in this industry that are making a living and that are choosing domains as their core investment strategy
0: huh so what do they say they don't stop being your friend how, how do you explain that they're not cyber yeah, yeah. squatters that you know yeah. owning uh voice.com or, mm-hmm. uh you know, uh, medium.com isn't a trademark infringement.
1: Yeah. So, you know, luckily <laughs> they don't. Not that you're a lawyer. Let's just throw that out sure. there. Yeah. First off, I'm not a lawyer <laughs> and I don't plan to become one. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, you know, first off, you can't win everybody over. Um, that's just life. Right. You know, I think that, you can uh, do your best to state your, state your case and explain the data that you have, and then uh, hopefully most people are with you, but you, you're not gonna win everybody over. I would say most people, once they get to understand it, have a much greater appreciation for it. Um, you know, I usually use a real estate analogy, which some people like, some people don't like, but I'll say, look, you know, um, I'll usually ask them like, hey, your parents, do they, do they own a house? I'm like, oh yeah, they do, okay. How long ago did they buy that house? Oh, 20 years ago, cool. Is that house worth more now? Of course. Okay, like what are they? And so usually it's like going through this math of like, oh, they bought it for 80000 Huh, would they sell it today for 500000 No way, 750000 And it's like, huh. So if somebody comes to your parents and offers them 80000 they won't take it. And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, but would you consider your parents squatters? Like they're preventing somebody from getting that property for the price they did. And now they're charging 10 times what they bought, which means that now a lot of other people can't afford it. And they're like, well, no, but that's real estate. Like it appreciates. I'm like, yeah, it's an asset. That's an investment. This is really just like digital real estate. And then the other thing I usually explain is that what makes domains so interesting is that with homes, you know, they are not really completely 100% unique, right? Like if you're in a neighborhood that's mostly three bedroom, two bath homes uh, and the house next to you sold for $500,000 and your home is a three bedroom, two bath house, that is pretty similar to that house, you can't say because you have a really cool swimming pool with this nice tile inside that your house is worth $2 million. Like there's almost nothing you can do to make your house that unique unless you added more bedrooms and bathrooms and things like that to it. And so you always have this idea of like a close comp that can be used to set a realistic value. With domain names, every domain name is unique. And what's amazing is a single letter can drastically change the value of a domain name. And actually, voice.com is an example I love to use. So voice.com sold for $30 million. We all know that is an outlier; it's a great sale, but not all one word.com sold for $30 million. Plenty do sell for millions of dollars though. But voices.com, when you add the S, um, totally changes the value. Same thing with like fast.com. That's a fantastic name, easily a seven finger name. Fasts.com with an S at the end, not nearly as valuable, right? And so what I think that shows, though, is that every domain name is unique. And so then kind of going back to the trademark piece, you know, generic words like fast, like voice, like medium are just words. They can be used for anything. And Amazon's really the best example of that, right? You know, if you were to say that a word can only be used for the purpose that somebody initially thinks it would be meant for, then Amazon would have to be a tour company for the Amazon, right? But they're not, they use the idea of the Amazon being this huge, vast place and a place where you can find everything. And so, you know, I explained to them, not only are all of these unique, which makes it different from real estate in that way, but the value they can offer a company, um, both from a branding and a marketing side is really incomparable to anything else you do, partially because of its permanence, um, and, and partially because it is, you know, your home for your brand online, which now I think we all know is more important than the home for your brand in person because way more people access your brand online.
0: And do you ever talk about like brick and mortar location versus online location and the value of say being on a.com over a.io or an easy to find or access Easy spelling, easy memory.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's another conversation too. So, and there's really, you know, a lot of complexity in this because there's no right answer for everybody, right? Usually I break it down by uh, the type of company somebody is running. If it's a B2B company or a B2C company, um, you know, if you're a B2C company, having a dot-com is infinitely more important because you're trying to connect with consumers. You may have your brand on a billboard. You may be at an event and have people talking about it, you want them to remember it. If you are a um, backend API and you're focused on developers, um, good example is a friend of mine started a company called Keen, Keen Keen.io, K-E-E-N.io. If anyone looks it up now, super cool, awesome company. If you can figure out what they do though and you're not an engineer, hats off to you, it's a really complex thing. And for them, they're not trying to market to the masses, they're really trying to market to developers and they're a very, very serious like B2B company. Um, And so with B2B, it is less important in a lot of cases. And what's been really unique about domains like .io um, or .ai or .vc or .tech, anything that provides a context, is that you can put a word in front of it and then you have an idea of what it's related to right so if i have like you know kitchen.io or kitchen.tech i'm going to assume that that is some company that has something to do with technology in the kitchen right whereas kitchen.com could really be anything but i probably assume it's a it's something related to buying things from my kitchen or having my kitchen remodeled or redone. And this is a relatively new concept, like using what's on the right side of the dot for context. Um, but I think fast forward 10 years from now, that's going to be something that people are very familiar with doing. But the good news for all of us that are com investors, because my primary investments are dot-com, my broker domains, I pretty much only do dot-com. I am a dot-com guy, despite the fact that I also like .io and .bc and .ai in those, which is okay. Um, But the good news for all of us is that still, whatever companies become like the go-to most successful in that space, for example, like we're talking on Zoom right now, they built a billion dollar business on a .us name. Clearly, they did not need the .com to build a billion dollar business. But once they became a huge multi-billion dollar business, of course, they're going to own the .com. And so the .coms are I think only going to continue to get more valuable because the biggest and best companies are going to use those really to represent that they are the gold standard for what they do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to jump in. I just interviewed um, Daniel Vassalo, um, founder of userbase.com cool. um, and another big geek and um He was talking about, so user base is a B2B and he founded it on a dot dev, but he didn't launch on the dot dev. He switched to the dot com before launch because I do want to clarify B2B is one of the most important moments when they really need the dot com or will benefit from it. I mean, he spent 25% of his startup capital on acquiring the dot
1: com. I'm not surprised.
0: Yeah. if trust. Is really yes. important in that's your B two B. Yeah, um, that I think is a big qualifier. In general, I think most um, domain investors, brokers, anyone in this space knows that B two B's don't don't need it as much. Um, but there are points when Possibly when they really no. do. Yeah, yeah. And
1: we're we're B two B, for example, but also kind of same thing. Like we work with Fortune five hundred companies, um, and we don't always work with just developers. We work with a lot of executives like a, a CMO or a VP of ECOM. And so for that reason, it is very important that we are boldmetrics.com. Like yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be bold.io or boldmetrics.io because it's not just engineers and developers that use us. We need to be able to go to the CMO of a $5 billion company and to have that trust and nothing conveys that trust as much as .com.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's just a signal. It's a very 100%. important signal. hundred percent, yeah. 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 Um, it's kind of like, who who has a story? Is it um, uh, David Costello's story of whiskey.com? And yeah,
1: Mike and David sold that, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: no, but he, um, correct me anywhere you want, But this is the story I recall, that he went to, he bought whiskey.com. He went to a conference, like a whiskey conference, wanting to just learn about the industry and see what he could do. And all of a sudden, whenever he, you know, people said, well, who are you? What are you with? And he'd be like, well, with whiskey.com. And they were like taking pictures with him and think, oh my gosh, I met the whiskey.com guy. And he didn't even have a business on it. But it, and that's when something huge clicked, what it
1: signals to own.
0: That's yeah. very different than...
1: And actually, I have a funny story related to that that just shows actually just the power of domain names in general. And something unique, I think, about .org. Um, a long time ago, I bought the domain name, I hand-registered it, hotelcritic.org. Oh. I thought, that's a cool one. Seems like Hotel Critic. And I thought, you know, because .org also conveys trust. Yeah. Right. It doesn't necessarily convey that you're a commercial company, right? There's still a lot of people that think, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that startups have about domains that prevents them from buying.org is I can't tell you how many startup founders I've talked to that I've said, have you considered.org? And they're like, oh, I can't, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm like, no, right. anybody can be on a.org. They're like, oh, I had no idea. But I went out and hand registered hotelcritic.org and I thought, cause I was actually talking with Michael and David and a bunch of these people early on and was really getting the concept of like, huh, that is like what Michael and Dave were talking about there is true. Like if you have that name, it does construe trust and a brand around it. And so I spent about $50 and had uh, business cards made that said, you know, Morgan owner, hotel critic.org. And I put a blog up on hotel critic.org where I would just kind of review hotels and hotel rooms. I was at, it's not up anymore. I think it's probably listed for sale now, but um, it was wild. So I would go to hotels and, when I would check in, I would say, Hey, just wanted to let you know, I'm here from hotelcritic.org. Um, I may or may not be doing a review. And it was wild. They would go, Oh, hold on one second. And they would like go back to their manager. And so there's this really funny story uh, where uh, Dana, when she was doing her PhD at UCLA, they had a This uh, is
0: your wife, co founder yes, My
1: wife, our CEO, yes. CEO yes.
0: Of Goldmetrics. Yep.
1: Yeah, and so when Dana was doing her PhD at UCLA, um, she was—and which, by the way, she dropped out to start Bold Metrics. So she was doing her PhD, and she left that to start the company, which is really cool.
0: You're not a legit startup founder if you haven't dropped out of school, right? Really yeah, smart.
1: Um, So uh, she, there was a big party at like a Hyatt hotel somewhere in—I uh, think it was Huntington Beach—and it was like the head of her department. Uh, who's a really, really prestigious guy and a bunch of the other kind of executives from UCLA and a bunch of the students. And we were all staying at the Hyatt. And uh, we had at that time, the dot domain name and I had the card. And so when I checked in at the Hyatt, I just mentioned that to them. And so they gave us like, essentially the presidential suite, it had like, a lot of times this would happen, we would get a room with like a living room, a dining room, a kitchen, multiple bedrooms, this crazy patio, jacuzzi bathtub. And so the first night we went to a party at one of the um, professor's rooms who had like kind of like an upgraded suite. And we were like, you know, we should throw a party. We have a great room to throw a party. And so the next night we had a party in our room and all the professors came and they were like, How did you guys get this room? (laughs) And then when I explained to them, they're like, that is crazy, but it was amazing. Used that all over the world. And I did actually write reviews for most of the hotels and take pictures, which was fun to do. And then I so realized, Your
0: traffic was what, like 12 people?
1: <laughs> not many people. Yeah. It, it ranked actually, it was funny. So it How ranked much is like- How does this mean for sale for? Because well, you might not, have a fire. Not much, but uh, uh, it actually, now a lot more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what's, what's funny is it actually ranked, like, I think for a while, like number two in Google for hotel critic. And wow. so sometimes they would look at it. But what was interesting is there's no search volume around hotel critic. Like no one's searching for hotel critics, right? So it was actually, you know, I've seen this before where someone will register a domain like, oh I'm register I'm I'm like number two in Google, number three in Google. I'm like, yeah, but it's a search term that like three people are looking for. Yeah. Um, but if those so. three people are the concierges checking or sure. you know, yeah.
0: at the hotel front desk checking yeah. you yeah. in.
1: Well but it goes made, to show it's that friend. same example of like that domain name. And in that case with .org also, like conveys this trust and really is the brand. And so now kind of going back to our conversation about .com, if you are that big juicy one word .com, or even with user base, if you are userbase.com, and going back again to this idea of unique, you are the one and only userbase.com. Zoom is the one and only zoom.com. That is so powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you mentioned Zoom became a billion dollar business and then- Yes uh switch to the dot com and i see in you know my interactions in the brokerage world these difficulties where startups don't know when it's Mm -hmm. time to bite the bullet and upgrade and sometimes they really pigeonhole themselves if they're never going to get that maybe another company is using the dot com or maybe they've driven the price up exponentially because the search volume is so much higher, the traffic is so much higher, and
1: someone else would totally different a good friend of mine, yeah.
0: Yeah. Will you tell the story and then break it down?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a great point you're bringing up. And it's actually where sometimes like branding consultants and branding agencies can screw up, which is why I think like, a good branding agency or good marketing consultant should also have a good domain broker that they work with hand in hand. Um, and so I have a friend, I won't name the company, obviously, cause I don't, I he probably doesn't want me to name the company name on the, on the show because I'm saying some less good things about how things went for them. But, um, very, very good friend of mine that I went through tech stars with, um, they raised, uh, a, I think a $6 million series a round and, it was somewhere in that six or $8 million series A round and decided it was time to change the name of their company. They wanted to have a more powerful, meaningful name. And so they talked to a branding agency. I think they spent about $10,000 for this brand agency. They showed me the stuff they're doing. They had, you know, everyone had to think up words they felt resonated with them and they put it all together on a board and they looked at the meanings of words and what people thought when they heard them and they put words to music. And there was this whole very detailed process. And they came up with this one word, which I agree is a great, strong word. And so they changed their company name to that. They announced it. And I looked and the domain name was get that word.com. And I said to my, my friend, who's the founder of the company. I said, dude, like you guys paid $10,000 for a branding agency and they came up with a name and you don't have the .com." I said, your brand isn't that word. Now your brand is get that word. He's like, yeah, it's a bummer, but you know what? Like as we grow, like we'll, we'll get it. Um, so now they've raised, I think $32 million um, and they can't get the name. So first off it's owned by a company that has a fully developed site and company on that name. <laughs> so that other company can't just give them the name, even if they decide a million dollars, if that company's doing, $5 million a year in business, what is the cost for them to change the name? Um, um, no, it's not that. <laughs> Tessa's guessing it's not that. <laughs>
0: just sent a private chat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you afterwards. It's a, it's a stronger word than that. It's actually a great word. Um, and so I told them early on, gosh, that was a mistake. And so after they raised the 30-something million dollars, they had hired a new CMO, who was someone with a background from Fortune 500 companies. And she had a phone call with me. She goes, Oh, Hey, I know you're friends with one of our founders. Hey, we really want to get this name now. And I'm our CMO. Like that's one of my tasks. And I'm like, that's a really hard task. Like it's a company that already owns it. They're already using it. There's not much you can do about it. Um, Have you guys thought of rebranding? She's like, Oh, that would be impossible. I'm like, but how's it going with the domain name, with the of from, she's like, it's not great. Like she said, it's just tough. Like when we go to a conference and we have this really nice booth and we're presenting our product and we're bragging about, we have all these great companies that use us and we have these great founders and we have these great investors. Oh, but the, the, the name, by the way, when you email, it's, it's get And she said, everyone is always like, huh? Like it instantly gives a hit to their credibility. And she said it also is pretty hard from a word of mouth standpoint. Like when you're trying to tell people about your company and they don't have a lot of background, they assume you can't be that big of a deal yet if you have your name with the word get in front of it or online at the end of it. Um, So I think that's a big challenge, right? And so that's when, it actually does start to hurt you, not to mention there's lost emails that a shadow of a doubt, right? You can have a customer that tries to email you. And that's, I think, one of the topics that is not talked about enough when someone is branding on a non.com, and this does happen with .io, this does happen with .ai, is that you know, whoever owns the .com is gonna get some percentage of your email. Um, you know, if I hear a one word name I'm going to probably email that. I can't imagine how much email Zoom lost in their early days when people were emailing you know, so-and-so at zoom.com, because especially with .us, which is not as well-known, even though you think it would be, um, you know, that's another factor to consider. But really, you know, at the core of this, it's not just companies, but it's like branding agencies need to make sure to do their homework to know, okay, if they can't get this now, what is really the best alternative? And then is there an option to get it? later down the road, because this branding agency really did a disservice to this company, because I always say to startups, your best case scenario is that the domain name is owned by a domain investor, because they have a lot of different names.
0: The cyber squatters, no one likes?
1: <laughs>
0: our best case scenario? We're gotta-
1: friendlier than people think. <laughs> but, you know, it's like we own lots of names, and our business, our investment strategy is selling domain names, so we will sell a domain name. The price might be higher than you want, but we will sell a domain name. I always say the worst case scenario is if the domain you want is owned by a company that's already operating on that domain. The switching cost for them may just be too high, just too cost prohibitive for you to buy. And that's why you should always celebrate if you want to buy a name and you look and there's a parked page there or a page that says this domain may be for sale. Like, congratulations, you absolutely can buy that name.
0: You're right. That's, that's an excellent point. Um, I think too, so lost email. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. It has, um, a name, uh, email bleed. Uh, yes. personally, I feel like, um, what is that word when you're like dying of bleeding out? Um, um <laughs> starts with an M. do you know what I'm talking about? I do know um, what
1: you're talking about. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Yeah. Um,
0: oh, see we're playing the, the marketing agency's game yeah. <laughs> A bunch of bubbles so and words.
1: People watch this hey. right now. Like, it's this, you guys,
0: <laughs> it has an, it has Ms in it. Okay. It's, personally. I'm like, is it an email bleed or is it an email hemorrhage? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, the term for it is email bleed. Yes. And the thing is sure in the beginning, zoom probably lost some emails. Right. Yeah. And was that important or not? But here's the question, what is your business and how important are those emails? So, I mean, I have encountered situations where we're talking major private documents are sent. Yes, Um, absolutely. I mean, things that could bring the whole company down. In fact, one time I actually heard a story about, it was just the president of some extremely important entity. It was just his hotel bill. Oh wow! But his hotel bill had um, quite a few M and M shots and questionable items, which would lead one to believe perhaps there was a scandal behind that. Wow! Wow. Um, And I mean, and normally it's not that. Normally it's and, and, there are tons of employees, everybody at the company refers to them, to the company instead of get what, Yes, exactly. it. since it's not yeah. your company, I, I'm going to say it, get true. flywheel. That is a terrible name. That's and they true. all refer to themselves as flywheel. Mm-hmm. And so in a scenario where that is happening, yeah. then even the own employees are emailing each other at yeah. flywheel.com. And this, this is a made up scenario. Yeah. Um, But I see that and hear that over and over and over. And how important are those emails? So the cost of acquiring the right.com isn't just about um, how much money you have or will have. It's also about the opportunities lost, the potential for lawsuits if you're handling sensitive data, especially if it's your own employees doing it or repeatedly doing it. Um, and it's also the lost traffic, lost word of mouth, and lost credibility. Lost credibility, that's, yeah. That's a yeah. bunch of expensive stuff. At the yes. end. You pile that all together, um, and fixing that as a problem. So, what is your friend's company going to do?
1: Uh, they're going to stick with the Git in front of it for now. They just know that it is. There's lots of different ways that it's that it's hurting them. So there's and still- I actually think and this is a probably somewhat controversial view within the domain community, Within the startup community, I think more people actually probably agree with this, but I think it's stronger to have the one word .io or the one word .ai than it is to have Git and then a word or a word and then online. Because I think now more and more people are becoming comfortable. Like there's a lot of Fortune 500 companies that, work with startups that are on, or even just tech companies that are on .io names. And so I think, you know, in the case of not to like, I don't want to throw a flywheel under the bus, I don't know who they are, but if you're watching this flywheel, we, we love you and wish you nothing but the best. Um, they they have uh,
0: right, so.
1: but, 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 but I would feel like, uh, like, you know, flywheel.io to me, sounds like more of an authority um, than get flywheel or flywheel online. Um, And so I think you know as we continue to move forward in time here and people get more comfortable with these other domain extensions, especially context-specific ones, uh, where you know what they do. If it ends with a .tech, it's a tech company. If it ends with .ai, it's an AI company. If it ends with .vc, it's a VC firm. Um, Then I think that having the one word .something is actually going to be a lot better. I feel like you look pretty out of touch if you have a git in front of the name. Um, So then you have to decide, Do I want to spend more money or do a greater search to find a better name? Um, Or do I want to kick the can down the road? But kicking the can down the road means opening yourself up to uncertainty. And like in the case of my friend's company, it's kicked down the road so far now uh, that they're, you know, kind of past the point of no return. They're like too big to change the name, um, but they're not going to get the dot com. And so now they're just kind of stuck.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And not to beat a dead horse, but I do want to say, you know, so when we first started using Flywheel, mm-hmm. I mean, for like a month, I would type in flywheel.com and then i go, yeah. oh, what is this company? Oh yeah, it's some yeah. other company. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's that stupid word they put in front yeah. of it? And then i remember and then I'd do it. But now, even though I still in my head, I re- now my process is I need to go to Flywheel. Oh yeah, they have that stupid thing. Here yeah. it is. That is not, let's go back to like the marketing bubbles, the, uh, the marketing agencies' bubbles. That's not what they wanted to come out. My first no. thought every time is what stupid decision did they make, basically. Yeah. And, and
1: everyone that, that you refer to them goes through probably that same confusion <laughs> the first time and from that point forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, you know, um, so um, let's talk. Uh, do you First, are there any other myths that you think are important to dispel? What do all um, ask you? What do they find fascinating and unexpected?
1: Let's see. you know. I guess there's there's a myth that that startups have, which I I dispel pretty quickly, and they get, which is that, well, domain names are ten dollars. Like, why are you charging more than that? Um, and so they don't realize that, like, you know, for me as an investor, for all the people we know in the industry that invest, you know it's not like I just buy every name for $10. Like a lot of us have to, first off, we do buy wholesale. Um, so just like anyone that's like a, like a car dealer, they're not gonna buy, a, I'm not gonna go to the BMW dealership to buy the BMW I'm going to resell. I'm gonna buy it wholesale in an auction or something. And just like that world, we do the same with domain names. And so what I try to explain to them is like, no, like I spend time researching lists of domains dropping. Looking at the search volume and CPC of the words in them, looking at are there any people using them? Are there trademarks on this that I want to avoid? Doing that research and then buying the name, you know, sometimes for $500, sometimes for $200, sometimes for $1,000. And then knowing that I may have to hold that name for 10 years until I sell it for a profit that I'm happy with. And then I have a whole portfolio of those. So, you know, I think that there has to be an understanding that all of us are taking a risk. All of us are spending a lot of time researching and trying to pick names that are valuable and are gonna provide a good ROI. Um, and there's a cost to that. And I think once startup founders understand that, then they have more of an appreciation. They say, oh, wait, okay, okay, so if you spent $800 on this name and you've held it for four years, and okay, then I could get why you'd sell that for $4,500, especially if other names like it sell for that. And so. You know, I, I really just try to get people familiar with the market. Most people have not heard of NameBio or of DN Journal. Um, they go nuts when I show them that. I'm like, so you know that there's a place that will show you what domains are selling for. And they're like, really? And like when I show anyone like DN Journal in the list, they're like, whoa. And I'm like, and this is not every name that's selling. Like this is just what's public. And Then I show them NameBio, like whoa. And so I think it's like, you know, we're still we think we're so far into the history. Of, of domain investing. But as I've said, not to beat a dead horse on this one, but I've said this over and over, and a lot of people have, these are still the very early days of domain investing. And five years from now will still be the early days because these are still the early days of the internet. Uh, if you look at the real estate market, if you look at the stock market, we have had a lot more time to grow and mature and reach the public. We're still so, so early. There is a future where domain investing conferences have 10,000 people. Or more. The fact that we're in this industry, that our biggest conference is around a thousand people, we should all enjoy uh, the magic of it. But the flip side of it is a lot of people not understanding what the heck we do.
0: That's really cool. I like how you say that. We should enjoy the magic of it. You're right. And the opportunity yeah. of it because awesome. there are only, uh, you know, a, a thousand rather than 10,000, you know, um, in yeah. general. So yep. now you talked about domains and you gave good examples there of, you know, acquired for $400 and $800 and selling yep. for 4,000 or 7,000 or whatever you yep. said. Yep. But you Morgan, um, you know, you do a couple, two to four brokerage deals a year. It's not your okay. main business, but yep. sometimes when you encounter something, yep. uh, you do it, you've been doing yep. this many years. Um, but you own, you do in two to four deals, you do a million dollars in brokerage a year. So I want to ask, were those domains acquired for $200 or $400? And clearly they, you know. No,
1: no, no, and they're not my name. 4,000
0: does not total a million. So how about we talk about domains at that level?
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, so I do, you know, so I I buy and sell domain names, and for myself, like my core portfolio is all names I've mostly acquired for, say, $250 to $750 that I sell for between $2,500 and $7,500. That's kind of my core, my own buy and sell. On the brokerage side, uh, pretty much exclusively do OneWord.coms. Um, and yeah, I kind of target a million dollars a year uh, is what I try to do in brokerage. Some years it ends up being more than that, some years less than that, but that's kind of my my goal. And that usually adds up to about you know three or four deals. I, I typically won't do a brokerage deal if the um, person, so I first off do it pretty much always on the acquisition side. So it's a, a startup that, you know, uh, a VC that I know or one of our investors has invested in and they say, hey, Morgan, you know, you know, some stuff about domain names and you're also a startup guy. So like, hey, can you help these guys with the name? So I will usually get on the phone and first make sure, um, you know, is it a name that they need help? Brokering, like if it's a name they could do themselves, I'll help them figure out how to do that. Um, but if it's a one word.com that's clearly in the say 250k plus range, then I'll make sure like if they have the budget. So very first conversation, I say, hey, let me just educate you a little bit about the market to make sure you know this, you know, domains like this. And I'll usually try to figure out, like before the call, what I would kind of ballpark into my head. And so, you know, a lot of times it's names that are in the 350k to 650K range, I would say, a lot of times.
0: And so there are a lot of names that even wholesale are sold by investors in six figures. Not So, I mean, it's not yeah, just $400, well, $800 domains.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still, oh, yeah, no, no. There's no, it's not a $400, 800 no. I mean, these are names that probably as an investor, that an investor would buy wholesale for, you know, low six figures, I would say. These are names that, like, if you take our, you know, a lot of the people we we know and love who buy oneword.coms, they would probably pick them up in the say seventy five k to one hundred and fifty k range, um, and the retail price of them is probably yeah three fifty or higher. Yeah, um, so these
0: are not ten dollars. <laughs> the no,
1: these are not ten dollar names. No. And
0: no. for the people listening who have thought that in the past, it's very common, but now it sounds silly as yeah. as we get further into the conversation. And yeah, matter uh, of exposure. Okay. Yeah, so- and that
1: also like that that also like shows the massive risk and holding costs that these people have i mean i have friends in the industry that spend a million dollars a year buying names and they won't necessarily sell a million dollars worth of names in a year they know they're going to hold it for a longer time period but if they see a name and it's a name that's easily a five or six hundred thousand dollar name they'll spend one hundred fifty thousand on it but they may have to hold it for six years until they get a deal that's big enough to warrant selling it. So that's a huge risk. They're putting $150,000 out there and then they're not able to use that money. It's locked into that domain name. Meanwhile, they're getting offers for $20,000 and $15,000 all the time and turning it down. People going, oh, how dare you, you squatter. And it's like, no, no, I, they spent $150,000 on the name. It's an investment. Um, and so, yeah, you know, a lot of times when I'm talking to a startup founder that wants to buy a oneword.com in that range, I'll first just qualify the budget. Um, and I find a lot of times now, VCs are actually driving this conversation. I think you were saying earlier, uh, I think with user base that they they were spent like 25% of their um, investment on the name. And yeah. I'm finding that's that's relatively common now. I find that kind of VCs are recommending anywhere between like 15 to 25% okay to spend on a name, just given how important a domain name is. Um, and so in a lot of cases, you know, I'm talking with companies that have usually recently raised like a series A. Um, So they've raised you know somewhere in the say, five to $10 million range. Um, And so they do have the budget. So I usually make sure like, do you have a budget of at least 250,000, but could we go up to 500,000 and maybe a little more for the name you really want? And if they say, yep, that we can definitely do, we have the cash to do it, then I'll usually start on the deal. And uh, I always hope that it's gonna be owned by somebody that I know and sometimes I get lucky and it's someone from the industry and we're able to do a really nice smooth deal. I'm usually able to get the startup founder, even a better deal because it's someone I know. And I'm like, Hey, this is someone I'm helping out. Like, what would your actual low be? And they're like, ah, you know what? I only paid this for it. And like, it works out really, really well. Um, and, you know, I don't do this. Uh, I know Drew will yell at me after this for saying this, cause this is, this is his cardinal rule. I'm sorry, Drew, I'm breaking your rule. I, I do agree with Drew's rule for anyone that is a Broker as their as their profession, but um, I don't have anybody sign any contracts, and I don't require an exclusive. I tell people, look, I do this based on trust. If you want to screw me over, and in the final hour, go around me and do the deal, like you can do that. Like if you can do that and sleep at night, go for it. Like I'm gonna do my best to get you the name and get you a good deal um, on the name. And when
0: I mean brokerage is not your business. You don't solicit it. You just do for trusted friends. That's totally different scenario. And I will say for our listeners who don't know, Morgan is referencing media options CEO, Andrew Rosner.
1: And he's giving good advice, by the way. I totally agree with his advice. If I ever were to do brokerage full-time and this was my livelihood, I would have people sign deals and sign exclusive. This is really like anyone that's being referred to me, it's from someone that's usually a pretty close mutual friend or an investor that we share or something where there is that there is that trust. Um you're
0: gonna bump into them on the streets of San.
1: we We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be gonna look you
0: in the eye. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah a-
1: I've, I've been able to be a part of some really incredible deals and watch some companies go from nothing to household names and uh get to know those, those founders even better, and then help them in some cases. I'm actually helping a founder now with, uh, I helped him with his first name, and he sold that company, and now I'm helping with him with the name for his next company. Um, oh,
0: I am just- so glad you brought that up. Because, mm-hmm. so, um, before I was executive producer, um, Domain Sherpa's original founder, Michael Seiger, interviewed Uh, ring.com founder and why he chose ring.com. And, um, you know, we believe in looking it over that that was a big factor in why Amazon acquired ring out of all the other competitors. Great name. Um, And it stands out too, just like if you're pitching to a VC and you want to stand out pitching to sell your company Mm -hmm. and you've got 20 different geeks doing You know, um, something or other, and your ring.com, your boldmetrics.com, it's it's different. So, you got your friend who sold and now he's coming back rinsing and repeating. Yeah. To some degree, he felt the domain was of value. Do you have any more specifics to that story?
1: He's got a lot bigger budget now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, He he,
0: he has a bigger budget because he made a lot of money on his last deal, or he is. Allocating a higher percentage of his budget because he saw the value of a domain.
1: Actually, three things. Uh, so he has he has a lot more money now because he made a lot of money selling his company. Uh, he also now has investors that are putting more money into his initial round because he's a proven founder, and he saw the value that a domain brought him. It's like the trifecta.
0: That uh, is the trifecta. Yeah.
1: So I think he uh, and I can't talk about you know the the thing and why I don't talk about the, my brokerage deals much. Is that I'm pretty much under NDA on all of them. Um, there's very few, as, that-
0: as are almost all brokers out there. So you yeah. can go to dnjournal.com and look at the year-to-date sales prices for public domains. You can go or public transactions. You can go to namebio.com for public transactions, but almost all deals are private. Yes. So yeah. because skew the numbers and makes it more important to bring in a professional like uh, a domain broker.
1: Yeah. And it makes it hard like for, uh, oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say back to your story. But oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Well, was let's say. Just say, another, another part of it is like, it just makes it hard. Like for me, I have kind of like wrestled with like, huh, when I do a big deal, should I go on Twitter and go, I just brokered a great one word.com for an awesome startup for $450,000. And I've realized like, Nah, like I'm just gonna get a bunch of people that are like, Yeah, sure you did. Congratulations. And like, what's the name? And da da da. And like I've seen people just get uh demolished for doing that. So I've I've decided, yeah, you know what? I can just I, I mean, my friends in the industry, I talk to them about it and, and they know what's happened, but it is sometimes a little bit uh excruciating. I guess I can talk about one because it's not I won't reveal the name and it will be one of the first ones I've talked about, but I did a two-letter brokerage deal um maybe two and a half years ago or so um and like my commission on that was uh 137,500 so like a huge amount of money to make on a single I was so excited about it uh but I couldn't talk about it at all and I was afraid to say anything about it because I was under a really strict NDA and the um the buyer was like really really serious about it not getting out um But it's like sometimes those things happen. It's like pretty massive windfall to get. Um, And also
0: very difficult domains to buy and sell. I mean, there are only 676 two letter.com domains in existence. Almost all of them are in use by Fortune 500 companies. It's one of
1: the most gut wrenching deals I've ever done. I had two, it was, yeah, I had two people going back and forth and a lot of, complexities involved in doing it and the craziest part about that deal is every dime of your commission i mean that is a oh yeah yeah very
0: difficult sale We have supply that low and demand that high and the value it brings to a company to have a two-letter i mean that is the ultimate yeah Yeah. especially and then speaking of how letters make a difference it's not just fast versus fast stuff. no
1: exactly but, yeah i mean
0: every letter especially when you have a two letter or three letter com yeah those are different letters have different values based on their usage in the english language yep. if it's a global market the chinese have certain concerns about certain letters mm-hmm. i mean it, there's so much that goes into it beyond yep. just
1: yeah one of the most complex deals i've ever done and the funny thing about it is the deal after all the hard work and everything it did end up going over the finish line while I was on vacation in Italy. And like the final stuff happened. Like I was like at dinner and I was like on my phone <laughs> doing the final close. And I was like, this is such a funny way to end it because this has been such an intense deal. And I've had to be on phone calls and this and that. And finally it ends. I'm like sitting in Italy on my phone.
0: <laughs> funny. How long did it take?
1: Uh, t- two years, I think it was wow. a long deal. Yeah. yeah. That was yeah. a really hard one. Yeah. yeah, those yeah. are not easy. No. Um, um, and so, yeah, back to my friend. His, because uh, this is a really long answer to your original question. But he, uh, when we originally did the domain deal for him, he had a uh, a smaller budget, but he was like a really good friend of a friend of mine. So I did the deal for him, and it was like a thirty five thousand dollar deal. Um, and now, at any rate, he's come back to me. And he's like, yeah, like let's get something like in the like five hundred thousand dollar range. I'm like, cool. There's a lot more options now. He's like, yep. He's like, I wanna go through different things. I wanna weigh the pros and cons of these. And I'm like, yep, we can do that. This will be great. Um, But then I've also told him, hey, the one thing we wanna look at with each of these names is, is it owned by a domain investor or is it owned by a company? Because if it's owned by a company, you're probably gonna get ripped off. Like if a big Fortune 500 company owns it or a company owns it and they're using it as their primary name, it's going to take me a lot longer to do the deal and you're probably going to pay a lot more. If we see a parked page or a this is for sale page, I know I can do the deal. And in some cases, if it's owned by someone that I'm friends with, I can probably even get you a better price on that deal, which is usually true because you know a domain investor that may be holding out for, this has happened to me multiple times, where someone has been holding out for $600,000 or $700,000 for a name for a while and they spent $200,000 on it. So I totally get it, but I'll come to them and go, Hey, I've got a friend that wants to do this. Look, their max budget's 500. I know you've wanted 700. We were just talking about at this conference and you said, you lowered to 600, would you do 500? And they were like, you know what? I wouldn't normally, but like, Hey, I want to do more deals together. I'd like some liquidity now. I know this is going to go through and it's going to be put to good use. And so it can end up really being a win-win.
0: Yeah. That's really nice. I, um, uh, no personal attack, but I take issue with your, your word choice ripped off. Um, I mean, so and I know you didn't mean that. Um, I mean,
1: well I kind of do in some cases though, because I have seen, I'll give you an example. I'm working on a deal now and, uh, it's a one word.com. I've talked to multiple brokers that I know and trust in the industry that have told me they believe the market value for the name is about 300,000 probably not over 500,000. It's owned by a Fortune uh, 50 company. And I've gone back and forth their legal team. They said they won't accept anything below $80 million. And so it's like, well, can't we at least, like my client in this case has a $750,000 budget. I'm like, can't we just get reasonable? And they're like, nope, we're one of the biggest companies in the world. 80 million is what we would need. I'm like, for just the domain name? I'm like, you guys aren't even using the name. They're like, but we don't sell domain names. I'm like, but you're not using the name. And so that's where I feel like, you know, people look at domain investors and like, ah, cyber squadron. And it's like, nah, like it's really, some of these companies can be so unscrupulous. And here's like a awesome startup that would do great things with the name that could give them double what I think most people would think the market value is for the name. And they're not going a penny below 80 million just to kind of be jerks about it. So that's kind of what I mean with the the idea ripped off.
0: Hmm, Yeah. Okay. I hear you on that. I think too, though, like um, I've been involved in conversations with these two different Fortune 100 companies for the last few months, um, each trying to acquire it. So a lot of companies, as they do M&A, 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 they're picking up all these random domain portfolios. But yeah. the intensity of the time, their legal team specialized in other things. Yeah. And yeah. so if they yeah. let go of a domain, they they have to spend so much time on their legal team researching the potential fallout. Mm-hmm. But also in general, one word dot com domains is there's a high demand um, and a small supply. Yes. And so there's a, a an opportunity cost to let go. And sometimes they don't have, they don't have, um, advisors on staff who specialize in this. They don't have the resources to make the decision. Yep. So, um, or to invest, you know, like one company, one of these two fortune 100s said, listen, this quarter, our legal team is booked. We can, we're willing to invest some time next quarter. Um, but what you're paying for is so much more, you're paying for them to let go of an opportunity, you're paying for their legal and marketing teams to hem and haw, but you're also, they're inflating the price because they don't know what to do or how to get a fair market value evaluation. Um, So, it's, Another
1: reason why if a domainer owns and they're not
0: incentivized. It. Because, <laughs> you know, a domain investor needs to recoup their investment, so they're exactly. incentivized to figure it out exactly 100. Company is not going to recoup their investment because they happen to own some random one com that they have nothing to do 100%, with 100%. You know, 100%, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that's why startups need to look at domainers as like we're the good guys, we're the ones that want to sell the names.
0: Yeah, yeah. we are your best.
1: Yeah, we are.
0: We your are. Best, uh, <laughs>
1: And we're all a bunch of geeks too. We're really all more similar than we are different. Like, I feel like kind of one of my life's missions is to bridge this gap where, you know, we see that we are all so much more similar than we are different. I feel that way about the world in general, not just domain But I feel like having spent the last 20 years traveling all over the world, it's amazing. People try to separate us of like, oh, people in Europe are like this, or people in Asia are like this, or Americans are like this. And it's like, yeah. of us are actually all really, really similar and all kind of want the same things. And I I feel that most people are good people. um, And if people can approach each other with that in mind, um, we can all do great things.
0: Morgan, that's why you're so uh, well-regarded and popular in this industry. You have a great outlook on life and a great um, unifying spirit. So- When do you recommend that someone get a broker versus acquire a domain themselves?
1: Great question. Yeah. So I think a lot of it has to do honestly with um, the budget that they have Um, just to, just to simplify it. There's a lot of different factors that come into it, but I'm going to try to just kind of simplify it at a, you know, 20,000 foot view, which is, you know, a broker does need to make like some money off of the deal. And so if you have a $5,000 budget, You're just not going to get as much time from a broker. Um, There are some brokers that will say, "No, I'll do that because, like, in the future you could do more with me." But you know, the one of the complexities is it can take the same amount of time to do a $500,000 deal as it takes to do a $5,000 deal. I agree with that. Um, So it's hard to do the smaller deals, Um, and I also think though, with a smaller deal, it's also easier for a founder to negotiate themselves. So. Kind of where I draw the line is in around like the $25,000 mark. Um, You know, if your budget's under $25,000, you can probably negotiate it yourself. There's a ton of stuff out there to help you learn how to do that. But, you know, as a startup founder, you're probably really good at emailing (laughs) because you've had to email a lot of people Um, and all startup founders have to be salespeople. You're always selling either your company or your product or yourself. So you have to be good at that. And those are the skills you need to do to to broker a domain name. The challenge is the time. Startup founders do not have a lot of time and domain deals take a lot more time than people think. And that's why a broker is so valuable. Um, Once your budget is over $25,000, now I think you start to get more into brokerage territory. And then it depends on the type of broker. Um, You know, if it's someone that specializes in names in the $25,000 to $75,000 range, great. Uh, if it's someone that usually does six figure deals and they're used to bigger commissions, yeah, might not be as great. Right. So almost like when you look at uh, advice that founders get for finding VCs, it's, you know, look at a VCs that have like invested in companies that are in your space. You know, you don't want someone that's a competing company, but an investor that's invested in companies that you think are somewhat similar to you. They're in your industry, they have some expertise in what you do, right? Like a a classic mistake I think that founders make on the VC pitching side is they'll pitch a VC that does B2C and they are a B2B infrastructure company. Hmm. It's like the VC will say usually in the beginning of the conversation, hey, we're like a B2C firm. Like we don't do B2B infrastructure. Like, oh, I want to pitch you anyways. And it's like, yeah, not worth pitching them because none of their investments are like you. Same thing with a broker. If You have a broker that most of what they do is six and seven figure deals and you want them to do a $30,000 deal for you. It's not to say they won't do it, but it's not their focus. Whereas if you have a broker that focuses on that, that's kind of going to be their bread and butter. So it's important for founders to talk to brokers and go, Hey, what's the typical range of deals you do? Is this the size you would normally do? Is this meaningful for you? If it's below that, really, you know, there's a lot founders can do to learn about how to do the outreach How to get in contact with the owner, how to negotiate. And I think the number one mistake that startup founders make, which is why they don't get responses in their offers, and I've written a Medium post about this as well, is that they reach out to somebody and they say, hey, I'm interested in buying this domain. How much? Which is okay. Like you can do that for your first email if you want to, just don't expect a response. Like most of the domain investors watching this will go, yeah, when I get that email, I don't necessarily respond. Um, I do, I respond to every email. Um, but not everybody does. Uh, a lot of domain investors don't, and so
0: especially if they own five thousand domains and they're yeah. getting twenty of these emails per day per yes. domain. Yes. Um. Yeah.
1: yeah. So yeah make, no, an offer. yeah. make an offer and make a reasonable offer, not an insulting offer. If if your budget is thirty thousand dollars and you think yeah this name's worth thirty thousand dollars, you don't have to make a thirty thousand dollar offer, but don't make a two hundred and fifty dollar offer. Don't make a five hundred dollar offer. It'll it'll really kind of hurt your credibility. And so I usually recommend like if the name is something that you think is worth, you know, 20 to $30,000, don't be afraid to make a $5,000 offer or $2,500 offer. You'd be surprised how you'll actually hear back once you make an offer. Um, yeah, and it's funny, cause this just happened with a deal I'm doing with somebody who wanted a .com. The .com is, is way out of reach for now. So I'm actually helping them get the.io. Um, and, I've been emailing the diet.io owner actually to see if I can get a price. It is better to, it is better if you can get the other person to name the price first. Um, and I was not hearing back at all. Uh, and then I put a $10,000 offer in and I heard back within an hour.
0: Uh Aha. Yeah. It was
1: like six emails, five of like, Hey, did you get my last email? Hey, just checking on price. And then I switch over to here's an offer and poof, then you hear back. And so if a startup founder is doing broker or, or trying to buy a domain name, for themselves, and they're continually sending emails, they're like, oh, they're not getting back to me. Put in an offer, make it reasonable. If you don't hear back, up your offer. Once you get to a level where they realize you're serious, you're probably going to hear back.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, as you're telling your story, I'm seeing a picture. um, You talked about how unique each domain name is. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a classic car collection. Mm -hmm. And imagine... Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the research that went into choosing that as an acquisition yeah. for the current owner, and you're not going to walk up and offer $250. At, imagine that that guy's yeah. face at the classic car yeah. auction yeah. or show when you're like, eh, I'll give you 250 people. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. This They're is like, a great analogy, by the way. That's,
0: that's not a great way yeah. to start a relationship or to get a reasonable price. You can walk up and say, wow, this car is so cool. It'd be perfect for what I'm doing. I'll offer you $5,000. And even if they laugh and say, oh, honey, that, this is a $100,000 car, yeah. at yeah. least they know you're trying and mean well, yes. and then you can work from yeah. there.
1: Um, By the way, that is such a great example. <clears throat> that is way better than the real estate example. I, I'm going well, to I'm yeah. going to use this example and I'm going to credit you with it because that really is actually probably the best analogy is that like a classic car, think of it, if I have like a, I don't know anything about classic cars, I'm going to totally screw this up. Are Anyone who knows either. classic cars is going to be like, what is Morgan talking about? But if it's like a, I don't know, a 1965 Thunderbird, I'm pretty sure that's something. Um, so if I have like... An old junky 1965 Thunderbird that's not well kept up and barely runs, my guess is it's probably worth like a few hundred dollars. If I'm a collector and I have like number two off of the line in perfect condition that I've maintained, that could be $250,000, right? And that's so unique. Yeah. Uh, And that is really the same thing with a domain name because as the, as the, as you were saying, like as the buyer of that collectible, you had to research it. You had to find out what auction it's in. Chances are it wasn't an auction in your hometown. So then you had to go there and then you have the car shipped back. Like there's so much time and energy and investment you had to put into it. And then there's nothing else like it. It's it's completely unique.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm going to be really popular in San Francisco. All the nerds will know my name. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) We both better study up about classic cars so we can. (laughs) Yes,
1: I'm way behind on that knowledge.
0: (laughs) So a lot of people think. So I like what you said about 25k and under. Um, try to do it yourself. Yeah. Over that, you want a broker, not because you can afford it, so you should throw money at this industry and put food on these people's table. But because what? Because they're gonna get you a lower price. Yeah. They're gonna get you um, a faster deal if time is a concern. Uh, Why else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the two main things are, first off, your time is money. As a startup founder, you're, you're so busy prioritizing things and putting your time into the right things is so critical. So if you're taking time away from you, pitching investors and raising millions of dollars for your company, or you pitching to clients and closing a huge deal, trading that time for doing something like acquiring a domain name is probably not the best use of your time. And then yeah, brokers pretty much can always get you a better deal on the name because that's what they do, right? Like that's their job. Like for me, I'm always focused on like, how can I get the best deal for my client, which I'm not gonna say everybody is moral. So I don't know if everybody, thinks the way that I do. But for me, like I cannot sleep at night if I know, oh, I could have got them a better deal, but I wanted to make more. I just wouldn't feel good about that. Um, And with any of these kind of things, it's all about trust. Uh, But brokers, because they're doing these deals day in and day out, and they have these relationships, and they're doing deals multiple times with the same people, or they have a track record where they can say to somebody, hey, I've done this deal, this deal, this deal, this deal. Look, if you cut me an extra 20% off, like we're probably gonna do business together again. Like, you know, I'm gonna look out for you, vice versa. They're gonna get a better deal for you versus you as a startup founder. It's pretty hard to tell someone like, oh yeah, if this goes well, like we'll do, yeah, you're probably not gonna do more deals together. Maybe you will, but like, if you bought this one, one word.com, you might not buy from them again. Whereas a broker, there's this greater opportunity if they do get a better deal for you.
0: Yeah, and a broker, they're going to answer their email because they recognize their name. Yep. They're going to um, definitely recognize the, the sincerity and the trust on the seller's end. Is this going to go through escrow? Is this Are these funds actually going to clear? Is this yep. a serious buyer? Yep. Um, there's so much more um, vetting involved. Um, it saves you a lot of time, money, energy, and yep. hard yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of heart that goes into this. Oh, um, yeah.
1: And then having a good broker that's helped you with a name, who knows when you're going to want to acquire more names down the road. You sell your company, you want to acquire a name for your next company. Having a good broker is like having a good lawyer, right? You're going to yeah. end up working with them probably for a long time.
0: Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, Morgan, this was such a good conversation.
1: This fantastic. Thank you so much for having I'm me on. I'm so
0: here. glad yeah. you came on. Is there anything else you want to highlight or any shout outs of what you have going on or... Uh,
1: um drive some business home uh, I don't know. no no i'm just uh it's been it's been totally incredible to watch i mean i remember the early days of 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 mike and domain sherpa it's been so cool to watch it grow and develop i am i am still a constant uh viewer and listener i'd say 25 percent of the time i watch it on video and the other 75% of the time, I listen to it. So like I'm doing stuff during the day yeah. and I listen to it. But Domain Sherpa is still uh, a part of, of my regular life. I'm super honored to be here. And you've done such an amazing job, Tess, um, you know, with everything that, that you're doing to get it to where it is today. Um, yeah, I'm just very excited to be here. So thanks again.
0: Thanks so much, Morgan. It was a delight to have you on. We will do this again soon.
1: Awesome. Cool. All
0: right, take care.
1: Right. Thank Bye. you. Bye.